Hello, 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 good people. I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for rocking with me on our 69th episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. I really appreciate you, and we got a hell of a show lined up for you this week. I'm going to be joined by co-host of the W Podcast, Miss Princess Streeter. We're going to break down Dwight Howard's comments saying that he wants to be a version of Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis. Is it an admirable quest or is his ass crazy? We're going to figure that out. Plus, with the WNBA playoffs in full swing, we're going to break down who and which teams have the best shot at raising the championship and why packaging in the media and how they cover the league is so vital for the growth of the sport. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. If you ever want to feel old, there are two surefire ways to get that feeling across. I'm serious. Number one, be around people who are younger than you, whether it's children, young people, whatever the case may be. Like, because time doesn't wait. And if you're around people your age, you'll just kind of lose track. But, you know, I have a daughter. She's about to be eight. And you're just like, man, where has the time gone? You know what I'm saying? But eight years, you can. it's easy, easily dismissed about, like, how long that is. But... My daughter's uncle, he's about to celebrate his 30th birthday. And I've known him since he was like 16 or something. And I, I had to take a step back and like, Slim, what? Like, that's crazy, right? And from time to time, you'll run across people, whether it's a small cousin or a nephew or niece, whatever. And you see them, you're like, yo, you almost like a grown person now. And it, it was just like a little reminder, like, Slim, like, don't get too comfortable. Yo ass get no, you understand? But number two, and more specifically as it pertains to this quarter, music. Music slim. This past week in music, I have felt, and I'm only 35, but I felt like I'm like 50 at, the, at some points this week, just kind of listening and observing the music world at large. And that's where we're going to spend the first quarter, man, because... Like, two things happened to me this week. Number one, I'm cleaning up the house. Like I said, my daughter's getting ready to celebrate her birthday. So I'm cleaning up the house, getting things together. And I find my old reliable, like, I'm telling you, if you listen to this show for any amount of time, you know how much I love Pastor Troy. I'm talking about, like, I was super, super hard in Pastor Troy. Late teens, early 20s. And I found my old DSGB album, man. And I'm, I'm like, Sice, because, like, that used to be, like, that was one of the soundtracks of, like, my early 20s. So I'm I'm geek, right? So I'm cleaning up the house. I'm like, all right, bet. We're going to listen to some DSGB. We're going to ride out. Slim, no lie. I put that thing on hit play. It's a CD, okay? So it's not like, you know, this is, this is some of y'all kids, y'all know about the CD life. So it's scratched up or whatever. But I put the hit play. Man, the intro was so aggressive. I was like, Slim, why was I so angry? Like, why am I listening to this at like 22? Like, what was I really upset about listening to this? It was just too much. I had to stop it. You feel me? I listened to the songs I needed to listen to, but it was kind of like, Slim, I can only imagine what people thought. Dog, I used to listen to DMX. Like, a grown man was barking. You feel me? Like, it's crazy when you think about some of the stuff that you listen to. So that's, it's helpful to keep me in check when I listen to some of the younger people that are around me and some of the stuff that they listen to 
so I don't OD being super critical. I can remind myself, dog, I listened to a dude growl and have a song where all he did was name women's names. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on now. Like, don't get all elitist on your BS, right? But besides that, and like reminiscing on the song or an albums and artists that I used to love, it hit me this week that like, I don't know where the music industry is going and I don't know who's going to be leading the charge. Case in point, this whole Nicki Minaj situation. Now, Nick, this is the crazy thing. I'm 35, she's 35. I can't, I, she represents kind of like when I stopped really staying up to date with music, like new music, like I say all the time, I'm a curmudgeon. I know what I like. I listen to whom I like. And I really don't really, it takes a lot for me to venture off into new artists. That doesn't mean that I don't ever listen to new artists, but it means that they would have to put forth something really special for it to even get to me. And then if once I get it and receive it, if I like it, boom, I have someone else that I'm a fan of. But the moment I stopped really following music, Hip hop specifically, it's when Nicki and Drake for other uh, rappers, and you know that whole class of like Nicki, Drake, Kendrick, when they were new, when they were looked upon as new. This is like ten years ago, so I'm always viewing Nick like I know she's not a new artist. I know she's a vet and everything like that, but I'm still in my mind because she, when I stopped paying attention, she was new. So that was those kind of, she's still in that position a little bit. So I'm looking at her like, okay, well, she's she's part of this new crowd when things have changed significantly since she was a new artist. So she lost her mind on the like on full display this past week. And I'm just looking like, what the hell is going on? Like, for real, I felt like I was 50 years old at the barbershop and at the gym or listening to the radio, whatever the case may be, when I'm hearing all the news of the day surrounding her going on. So this segment is going to be an angry man segment. But, man, there were so many times this past week when I was going to be like, yo, she needs to sit her ass down. It's now to the point where, bro, she needs to have a, a, a prolonged seat. She don't need to stand up at all. She need to, like, she need to lay down. Take a nap. It's over. You feel me? Because someone like myself who's not even in the music and knows the ins and outs of the industry anymore or pays attention to that stuff or even ever cared, I'm looking at her having a meltdown. And I'm like, bro, somebody who loves her needs to get her, like, for real, she needs to chill all the way out. So this starts, and this is long, bro, because all week long, I'm just like, what's going on? It's like I'm, a, I'm in a foreign country and I'm, I just got a, like a bag of popcorn and I'm just observing like, these motherfuckers are crazy. Like, that's, that's my reaction to everything. First off, it starts off with an album. Now, look, man, I never cared who had a number one album. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you are a musician and like that's. I'm not going to try to, again, I'm not trying to be elitist, but you, you should care about your art. It doesn't matter if your album is number one. It says, like, is it a good piece of music? Right? That should be the focus. Her ass been carrying on about number one albums, and I'm like, bro, this is simple. But then it dawned on me, like, I haven't bought a CD in God knows how long. All the music I get, I stream. Some, I don't even buy albums on iTunes like that anymore. Like, I'll just 
you got Apple Music or you got Spotify, and boom. So I don't even know. So I was like completely clueless about how do they even like chart number one albums anymore? Like, how do they do that? Because I don't know if people even buy albums like that for real. So all this stuff has been new to me. So she's losing her mind talking about she didn't get the number one album and somehow Travis Scott, another new artist that I have no idea what's going on with this guy, right? She's like, man, he's selling sweaters or, you know, his baby mom says something and people are downloading it. And I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> like, what does that have to do with anything? I have no idea how they calculate who has the number one album. So in that regard, I just think it's completely arbitrary. Who cares? Apparently, she sold like 200,000 copies. That's a lot. Be happy. But nah, she don't stop there. She going on DJs. She talking about she threatening DJs. You feel me? And then, and then, this woman jump up out there and compares herself to Harriet Tubman. I was like, baby, come on now. Somebody in your circle. So in the span of days, she goes on throwing shots. Like, and I skipped over a lot. She threw shots at a little child. She threw shots at Jay-Z and Beyonce, at Drake, and then compared herself to Harriet Tubman. Dog, I can't make this stuff up. And I was like, bro, you are having a hell of... I hope this works. I hope this is selling records for you. Because, like, at this point, if you make another album, nobody... Like, you have damaged your brand. Forget about what I know about the music industry. Forget about what I know about how people uh, translate record sales in this day and age and number one albums. I don't care about none of that. I have no interest in any of that. But no matter what profession you have, especially as an entertainer or someone who is trying to provide a service, bro, I feel like American Gangster, man, or straight up out of the wire, Marlo, my name is my name. You have a brand. And she has gone in the last week and a half to do so much damage to her brand like, the, I don't know if there's ever coming any back from this. And this all started, like, so this was this past week where she's carrying on about having a number one album. Like, bro, who cares? Like, who cares? But that happened after she goes on this crazy diatribe about her and her ex and who's writing her raps and how she's being unfairly criticized because she's a woman. And look, first, I got to shout her out. Because I thought we were at a point where no one cared that people didn't write their own rhymes anymore. You know, that like that was the thing for like the last five, six years. Like, hey, you don't write your own rhymes? All right, whatever. I don't like it didn't seem like people cared about that. So I kind of appreciated her jumping out there being like, yo, I write my rhymes, boom, boom, boom. And while I'm certain that she does get an unfair amount of criticism because she is a woman especially in hip-hop but because she's a woman in a in a heavily male-dominated uh genre i i make no light i don't make light of that i'm sure that's true but she gotta also kind of kind of look around you understand she was mad that people believed her ex-boyfriend when he said that he wrote some of her rhymes and she felt like the only reason people believed her or believed him is because she's a woman and I'm not arguing that that may have played a point, but I personally feel that the greatest reason 
why people believe that she had help writing her rhymes. It's because look at her camp. Well, again, when I stopped listening to music, like when I stopped following and, you know, listening to new artists and trying to keep my ear to the street and boom, boom, boom. About 10 or so years ago, right? The three biggest acts were her, Drake, and Wayne. All in the same camp, right? We all know now that Drake didn't write his rhymes. You know, he doesn't write all his rhymes. In fact, people will make a song for him and then he will just copy it. We, there is a fact that's factually, that's evidence. There is no disputing that. We also, and I know some of y'all young Bamas don't know, there is a lot. I, in fact, I don't know anybody who doesn't feel that Wayne didn't have help when he wrote the first Carter. First Carter, in my opinion, is Wayne's best album. First Carter came out so long ago now. It seems like forever ago. And, you know, what was the dude? Uh, Gilly the Kid? Like, he even came out and was like, bro, I helped you write. And, 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 again, if you listen to everything Wayne put out before the Carter and then listen to everything Wayne put out after the Carter, the Carter doesn't sound like anything. Anything that he's made before or since. So, most people feel that he did have a few, a little help writing his rhymes. So if you come up in the same camp with two people who either have been proved to have help or it's heavily believed that they had help, you don't have any room for reasonable, like there's no, there's no room for the benefit of the doubt. But even then, like nobody was really accusing her of having somebody write her own rhymes until recently. So it ain't like, you know, she's just a victim of the situation. I'm happy that she feels strongly about writing rhymes because I appreciate the fact that, yo, writing rhymes is still important to people because I was worried for a second. I was like, okay, well, if y'all don't care that people don't write their rhymes anymore, I don't even know what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, let, me just, let me just go ahead and listen to my equipment I and just go ahead, ride on out. You feel me? But apparently it still does matter in some circles, and I'm happy to hear that. But what else needs to matter in circles is sanity. Because, yo, I don't know how much of it she's got left. She out here wilding. She beefing with everybody. I like, I don't, I don't know. And again, I sound like the old man in, in, at the, at the uh, barbecue because I don't know what's going on. I just see the headlines. But from the headlines that I've seen this past few days, Oh, somebody, we need an intervention. Because if this ain't a cry for help, what is? Bro, she compared herself to Harriet Tubman. What? For that and for so many other reasons. Nicki Minaj, sit your ass down. Angry man, holla at her. Man, sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. I can't say that enough. <laughs> you feel me? We like to have fun on the show, but I'm dead ass. Something's going on with her. I don't know what it is. I'm not, hey, again, this is all new to me. I was like sensory overload. I, all this stuff was happening day after day after day. And I was like, what? Another thing, as we get ready to move on to the second quarter, what is this about Bama's having hair implants? <laughs> what? That was another thing that popped off, I guess, like two weeks ago, where she was just out of Bama's for having hair implants. As a brother who's been bald now for a while, what the hell part of the game is that? Y'all Bama's getting surgery for hair? 
Come on, man. Come on. That's that's a lack of leadership. That's a lack of leadership in your life. Why on earth would you do that? And not only that, she made the game harder for y'all Batmans with the super cool, super smooth lineup and shape-ups. Because now everybody going to be looking at Batmans with the Chris shape-up being like, uh-oh, is that fake? So Paul George, I'm sorry, brother. You just, you know, friendly fire. You know, collateral damage. All y'all Batmans with the clean shape-up, man. Y'all, everybody's going to look at you crazy now. Batman's getting hair implants? I thought when Carlos Buzo OD'd on the Beijing, I was like, okay, we we, we have reached the pinnacle of, of fuckery. Oh, no, no, no. Y'all never cease. Y'all never cease to amaze. Over, over hair. Lord have mercy. All right, y'all. Before we move on to the second quarter, make sure... You interact with the show. Hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, it's QuarterlyReport. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report at gmail.com. Man, I know there are a lot of hives out there. that are the beehive. I, got, I, got, I ran into the Kobe hive this past week. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later. And I know Barb, the barbs, that's what they get called. I don't want none of y'all coming at me. Y'all know y'all queen is crazy. Y'all know her ass lost her mind. Don't come my way. Please, leave that, leave that for somebody else. Don't bring that this way. All right? All right, y'all. We're going to keep things moving. That was enough music for this show, for this week. We're going to step into an arena that I love to talk about a little more than most. I'm back to the NBA. I'm back in my NBA bag for the second quarter this week. Second so last quarter. week was one of the first weeks, maybe ever, that I didn't talk about the NBA at all. So, you know, we had to put a stop to that. And here we are in the second quarter. And there was an interesting piece that came out that I saw on Twitter. I'm not certain which casino or what sports book has, has put out these odds. But the, the odds to win NBA MVP have been released. And there were a few interesting numbers. Now, it's important to indicate, to let you guys know, I'm not a gambler. Like I don't, I don't do sports bets. I don't do over unders. I don't do none of that stuff. I don't do, you know, playing. I don't do any type of sports gambling at all. I don't play with that at all. However, there are a few times where you know, I get a, a little itch. Now I'm not going to play anything, but I know a lot of you all do. Like sports gambling is huge. It's even bigger now that it's legalized. So because I am a man of the people. I am going to give and share some of my information and some of, um, I don't know, my gut instincts, some things that I feel strongly about to you all as it pertains to the NBA MVP for the 2018-19 season because there are some things, some names on this list that are extremely interesting. And there's some names on this list, no matter how great I think they are, I wouldn't touch with a 100-foot pole. So because I'm a man of the people, I'm going to share this knowledge with you all. All right. So it's important before we even get to the names and what the odds are and what which names I would strongly, strongly suggest each and every one of you put at least one hundred dollars down on. Right. It's important to understand kind of the criteria, the unwritten criteria to even be an MVP let alone be a, a, a significant MVP candidate. Number one, 
you have to have a great storyline. Like it, it, the reason Derrick Rose, I feel, won over Dirk and Dwight, it's because Derrick Rose's storyline was great. Remember, the majority, like the writers vote on this stuff, and writers love to have a narrative. The writers love to tell stories, right? James Harden's storyline was greater than LeBron's. One of the reasons, despite the fact that James Harden was playing with Chris Paul and Clint Capella, James Harden had a great storyline. He won. Two years ago, Russell Westbrook, he wasn't a 50-win. Usually, you have to win at least 50 wins. That's another criteria. You have to be a, you have to be a part of a team that's winning more than, than not. You have to be on an extremely, usually a top three seed in your conference. And usually... I would say nine times out of ten, you got to be on a team that's winning 50-plus games. Russell Westbrook was able to kind of bypass that nugget because his storyline was greater. His storyline was he was the first player in decades to get a triple-double. Last year, he got a triple-double too, but you know what? He wasn't the first player in decades to get it, so he didn't win. So although Russell Westbrook may not have even had a worse season last year because his storyline was worse, he didn't win. You see what I'm saying? You could have made the case that James Harden should have won back-to-back MVPs, but because Russell Westbrook's storyline was so impressive two years ago, being the first man since Oscar Robertson to average a triple-double, there was no way to stop that momentum. So again, storyline is huge. It's paramount when it comes to MVP voting. Like I said earlier, you have to win. Unless you're going to be the first player ever to get a quadruple-double, average a quadruple-double, guess what? You better win. And when I say win, 50 wins, top three seed. Unless, you like the, unless you're in a conference where the top five seeds all win 55-plus. Like, if you're a four seed and you win 56 games, you can probably still have a legitimate candidate. But it also depends on your supporting cast. One reason why I don't think Kevin Durant or, J- or Steph Curry will win MVP while they both play in Golden State, it's hard to decipher who is more valuable. Now, unless there is a significant injury and the team continues to play well, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, I don't know. And that's also a problem that you're going to see in Boston this year. There's so many top talented guys, top end guys, it's hard to differentiate why, why should we give it to this person other than the other person? Unless, like I said, number one, storyline, okay? So those are the three pieces of criteria that I look at when I look at this name and these lists. So I'm going to run down some names atop the list and some names that I really, really like somewhere in the middle and in the bottom half of these MVP odds to win. And then I will tell you why. Three names in particular stand out to me as far as valuable bets. Number one, LeBron James leads the pack 10 to 3 odds to win MVP next season. I think that's a safe bet, right? The Lakers didn't make the playoffs last year. The Lakers haven't made the playoffs in like five years or something. LeBron James goes to LA and in the Western Conference, if they win 50 games, 50 plus games, knowing that LeBron didn't get a second superstar this offseason. And if he goes to L.A., they win 50-plus wins. Not to mention, if he leaves Cleveland and after going to, what was it, four straight finals, they don't, miss the, they don't make the playoffs at all? That's storyline, right? That storyline, that's productivity. 
it's easy. LeBron should be the favorite to win. But that's 10 to 3 odds. It's not bad. But there's a lot more value, I feel, later on in the list. So as we move on, Anthony Davis is second with 4 to 1 odds to win, followed by Giannis Antetokounmpo at 9 to 2. Those two guys, while I feel, I think personally, Anthony Davis is the best player in basketball, I don't know if the Pelicans are good enough to to put him in a position to to be an MVP candidate. Like, to, not a candidate. He'll definitely be a candidate if he's healthy. But I wouldn't put money on Anthony Davis winning the MVP. Number one, the odds aren't that great, right? And then number two, I don't even know. Like, you, you could make a compelling case that the Pelicans won't make the playoffs. Not because that they're not a good team, per se, but the Western Conference is so loaded, number one. And number two, Anthony Davis, while I think his injury history has been a bit overblown, Drew Holiday's hasn't. And for the Pelicans to be any type of threat to approach 50 wins, not only does Anthony Davis have to have an amazing year, which I'm confident he will, but Drew Holiday has to be available and he has to also have a great season. So I would shy away from Anthony Davis only because the odds aren't that great, number one. And number two, he's not in the position. Like we said, storyline, sure. You lose Boogie Cousins and you win. If the Pelicans are to win 54, 53, 55 wins, then you know what? He has an absolute case to be an MVP. I just don't know how likely it is, especially when we look further down the list. Giannis, same thing. Giannis is amazing. Giannis will be right in the mix for MVP or first team on NBA. But I just don't know if the Bucs can win 50 plus games. And it, unlike the Western Conference, where you could make the case for nine teams who will have a really, really good season, the Eastern Conference, you could make the case that three teams at the top will be pushing for 60 wins. So it's different. The East is much harder than it top at the top than it has been in a long time. Not just because, you know, in years past, you know, LeBron was great, but whether it was Miami or Cleveland, but now there's not just one team who's going to be playing really hard. You know, the Cavaliers with LeBron, there was a bit of coasting, right? They knew that they weren't playing for regular season titles. They didn't care about having the best record in the, in the conference. It didn't matter. They're, all their focus was on getting to the finals. Philadelphia, Boston, and Toronto, they absolutely are focused on having the best record because there's a legit case. Like, while Boston is probably the favorite to win the conference, they haven't done anything to put them in a position that whatever team LeBron was playing for in the East was, right? You knew if you had LeBron, you pretty much had a pathway to the finals. Boston, they should be the next one up. But Toronto and Philadelphia are legit comp competition for Boston. So there's a race at the top. And I don't know where Milwaukee falls after those three. Like Boston, Philadelphia, and Toronto clearly are ahead, head, feet, and shoulders, head, shoulders atop the Eastern Conference. But after them, Indiana's there. You can make the case for Washington. You can make the case for Milwaukee. But that's it. That's a group of three. So I don't know if Giannis has enough to be an MVP and by enough, again, he's got to win. And I don't know if they're going to get 50 wins this season. So I would pass on Giannis. Then you have James Harden. 
James Harden, I can't see him winning back-to-back MVPs. What is the storyline? We saw him fail again in the postseason without Chris Paul. Chris Paul, we now know how important he is to Houston. I shouldn't say we all know. I've known, and a lot of people, smart basketball minds knew. But there were some, some skeptics, right? Like, how is it going to fit? And now you're adding Carmelo Anthony, a variable that you don't know. Houston may lose more games this season than they did last. I'm assuming that they will. So it's hard to give someone a back-to-back MVP unless there's a significant injury, i.e. Paul or Capella. And if James Harden just carries the load to another 50-plus, 60-win season, I'd pass on Harden. We talked about Kevin Durant. It's hard to differentiate who's more valuable, him or Steph. And as long as he's playing with the healthy Steph, I'd, I'd pass on KD. And as long as Steph is playing with the healthy KD, I'd pass on Steph. Then we get to, I'd say, my number one favorite. If I were to put money on anything, considering his position, considering his team, considering his storyline, and factoring in the odds, Kawhi Leonard at 11-1 to 1 would be my, my number one bet. The storyline writes itself. And like much like LeBron, imagine if the Spurs don't make the playoffs this upcoming season. And imagine if the Raptors not only have a great season, which we all assume they will, but they win 60, something they've never done before, and they have the number one record in their conference again. And Kawhi shows the world that, yes, what happened in my last year in San Antonio was a fluke. I'm still one of the five best players in the world, and I'm going to show you. And he's at 11 to 1 odds. I mean, I'm not a gambler, but if you are, this free game, baby. Kawhi Leonard at 11 to 1 odds, odds would be my top choice in terms of putting money on a player winning MVP. So I'm going to skip all that. I'm not going to go down the list of everybody, but there are some other players, two more specifically, that I like a lot when it comes to their odds and when it comes to their place in the MVP um, landscape. And second on this list is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is 35 to 1 odds to win MVP. Now, Joel Embiid is 16 to 1. And I understand people saying, oh, well, Ben's not as good as Joel. This is an argument that we could, we'll probably be having for years in the future. But what did we say? Storyline. Joel Embiid. He's looked upon more favorably, I would say, throughout the league in circles than Ben Simmons is, right? Ben Simmons can't shoot. And somehow, despite the fact that this guy is an amazing basketball player, despite the fact that as a rookie he averaged 18, 8, and 8, right? Something I think Magic Johnson is the only man to ever do. All we focus on is what? Ben Simmons can't shoot. The bar is so low for Ben Simmons. Imagine... And we saw what happened with DeMar DeRozan last year. All throughout the year, DeMar DeRozan, he's, he's become such a better three-point shooter. DeMar DeRozan was an awful three-point shooter last season, but the bar was so low, the fact that he was like a 33% three-point shooter got everyone's attention. Ben Simmons, the bar is so low. Imagine if Ben Simmons, again, 18-8 and as a rookie. Imagine if he's 21-8 and 9. And he shoots the three. And he doesn't have to become a 40% three-point shooter, but let's assume that he becomes like DeRozan, an awful three-point shooter, but in the low 30s. 
that storyline, right? Imagine if the 76ers win the Eastern Conference. Regular season, obviously, because the MVP is a regular season award. That storyline. Unless Joel Embiid goes on a 30-point, averages 30 points and, you know, 12 rebounds or whatever the case may be, we already have in our mind what he is because the expectations for him are kind of already been realized. We know Joel Embiid is great, and the flaws of his game aren't as, um, they haven't been made as much of a deal as Ben's has been. So if Ben Simmons just, all he has to do, he doesn't have to be a great jump shooter. Just make a few and average three more points and maybe one more rebound or one more assist, then he's right up there because the team is going to win. And at 35 to one, you talk about value. It's hard to get better value at a great player than that. In fact, the person ranked right ahead of him is Joel Embiid at 16 to one, Kyrie Irving at 16 to one. Those guys are fine, very good players, but again, storyline. Kyrie Irving is going to be playing with Gordon Hayward, finally coming back, and then Jason Tatum. We all saw what Tatum did in the playoffs last season. So it's going to be hard to give credit to Kyrie. You understand what I'm saying? Whereas if Ben, Ben only has to up his points per game, because again, we love points per game in the NBA. If he ups it to 21 and averages one more rebound or one more assist, and just makes, he doesn't even have to make 100 threes. He didn't take, I don't think he made one. So if he makes 20 and just shoots more and gets his percentage up, the storyline writes itself. So 35 to 1, I'd be looking very close, very hard at Ben Simmons. And my last pick that I'm going to give you guys, and this is, again, when we talk about storyline number one and winning number two, Donovan Mitchell at 85 to 1. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is as good as LeBron James. I don't think he's as good as Anthony Davis, Giannis, Harden, Durant, Kawhi, Russ, Curry, Embiid, Kyrie, Ben, none of these guys. But Donovan Mitchell is going to be playing for a team that's absolutely going to be fighting for 60 wins. People have to remember, the Jazz won, what, 49 wins last year, and that's with Rudy Gobert missing significant. I think Rudy missed like 20 games, 20 to 30 games last year. When Rudy was healthy, that team was on par of a 60-plus win team. And then, like Tatum, Donovan in the playoffs showed you that he his ceiling, you can't see it yet. He is absolutely the real deal. So you assume he's only going to get better. So if he stays healthy, if Rudy stays healthy, and the rest of that Jazz team stays healthy, they're going to win a lot of games. I think Utah's going to win, have the second-best record in the Western Conference next season. And if that's the case, storyline, oh, my goodness, look at Utah. There's some, some quote-unquote experts who don't think Utah's going to make the playoffs this year. They were the fifth seed last season. And here's also what storyline has to do, play in the factor. Rudy Gobert is Utah's best player. I think he's going to be their best player this year, even with Donovan Mitchell. But we know because Rudy doesn't score, MVPs, those awards don't go to guys like Rudy Gobert. They just don't. Doesn't matter that he's the best player on that team. He doesn't score enough. So who will get the lion's share of the credit for the Utah Jazz? If the Utah Jazz go from 49 wins to 59 or 49 wins to 60, if they move from a five seed to a two seed, 
if they are one of the best teams in the league from year all year long, from the beginning to the end, who gets the credit? It's not going to be Rudy Gobert. It's going to be who? Donovan Mitchell. And at 85 to 1 odds, that is a sneaky, sneaky great pick. If you got money and you feeling feeling lucky, I'm telling you, all the boxes check off for Donovan. Again, I'm not saying he's as good as these other guys ahead of him, but his storyline is, right? His team is going to win more games than most of these teams ahead of him. And when you factor all of that, plus the value at 85 to 1, it gets hard to ignore that. You got $100, you got $100 extra, man, go to your book and put it on Donovan. I'm telling you, those three guys, those three players that I named, Kawhi Leonard, Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, and again, you got $300 extra, just put $100 on each player. I mean, again, given the fact that LeBron James could absolutely win, and he should be the favorite. But again, when we talk about value, if you have the money, and this is not for people who live in check to check or are hurting. Trust me, I, I know what it's like. Don't put your money on this, dog. That's not what this is about. But this is for the people who have the who have the the ability, who have the resources to to have fun this way and put money on Kawhi Leonard, Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell. Thank me later. All right, guys, you heard the horn, so that means we are at halftime. Again, guys, thank you so much for rocking with me on this week's show. Get involved with the show. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show on Twitter. Or you can email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. If you disagree with my assessments on the NBA MVP picture, if you think that Kevin Durant can absolutely be an MVP playing with Steph Curry, if you disagree with Ben Simmons, if you think he's got a far, a long road ahead before he can be considered an MVP, Whatever the case, I want to hear all of it. I want all the smoke. Let me know your thoughts, whether you agree or disagree. And if you do put some money down on Donovan Mitchell or Ben Simmons, let me know why you agree with me. All that, whatever you wanted to discuss, hit me up on Twitter or email me your thoughts. We will be reading some of your fan tweets and emails next week on a segment I like to call Stoppage Time. All right, man, so... We're at halftime, and I love halftime because it gives me an opportunity to kind of touch on some stories that other people have, but in a different way. Or in the case this week, I get to do something that literally had me scratching my head for all day on Saturday. Like I said, like most people, I love music, but I don't follow music the way I once did. And now... You know, as I get older, the people I listened to when I was a teenager, they, they've gotten older as well. So now you see people who were in their early 20s now, in their late 30s, maybe in their early 40s. And you're just like, dog, what happened to you? But we had sports wings the last week. But so I had to keep it fresh. I had to do something different. And this weekend, and I'm sure a lot of you all are like me, I saw someone who was a big time music star back in the day. And for whatever reason, he is falling on hard times. For whatever reason, he was interviewed by some, some media outlet. He started running his mouth. And the only word that I can think of when I saw him talk was the word. What? Like, what? What are you talking about? What happened to your life? What are you doing? What, what is the director of this interview even thinking? <laughs> right? What am, what, 
Just what? 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 And if you know anything about this show or know anything about me, I grew up on wrestling. So there was one wrestler in particular who made the word what something of a movement. So why not join both of those together in the latest segment, a latest halftime segment of the quarterly report, a debut segment that I like to call what featuring Chingy. Check it out. I'm a Pisces. A Pisces, if you know anything about a Pisces, you know Pisces. What? Jesus in the Bible is represented by the fish, Pisces. What? And so the Pisces sign is about trials and tribulations, enemies, and sacrifice. I'm a very wise young man. And so, but what about if I take an atom that got a nucleus in it, that you dig into the nucleus and pull out an electron and then what? procreate with that electron because that electron is feminine and it procreates to where it multiplies. How about we look at it like that? What? Instead of looking at it like a woman came from a man real. Which way make more sense to you? The second way. Pretty simple, right? But the Bible was written in parables. And, and, and Jesus in the Bible says that. It's written in, I think it's Matthew 23 something. What? But it's written in parables. And it said that it's written in parables so they were not understand. It say understand, but I like to say understand. What? Now let's go to Moses. Splitting the Red Sea. If you know anything about your chakras, your seven energies that go from the base of your spine up to your pineal gland. What? Up to the um cerebrum brain. What? Then... You would know when Moses split the Red Sea and the water raised on this side and the water raised on this side, he put the staff in the middle, which is the spine. What? And the Kundalini energy is the pingala, the masculine energy and the ida, the feminine what? energy, the electrical energy that goes up the what? chakras to ignite the pineal gland, which when what? Moses was at the top of the mountain, he spoke to a burning bush. What? If you know anything about your pineal gland, it's shaped like a burning bush. What? It's the light receptor that interacts with the universe what? That, that, that that um electricity comes down into and you can talk to God through meditation. What? Now you gotta know about the Kundalini energy to even know about what I just said. If Chingy don't get his ass on somebody's metro station and start selling oils and incense to get the hell about my face. <laughs> my man, hey. Let me make this perfectly clear, because I, I ain't trying to get this type of smoke. I'm not making fun of anybody's religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs. None of that. Anybody listening to this show, man, you can listen to You can believe in whatever. You can choose not to believe in anything. I'm cool. Whatever, whatever you got to do to get through the day, boom. So I'm not making fun of anybody's spiritual or religious beliefs with this. But if you can listen to... Ch man... Google Chingy and religion and just watch this joint. And I'm thinking, my man, you the brother who was talking about right there. You the dude who was singing with Simba. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He talk about, man, ain't nobody listening to you. You going to pull out a quote and they can't remember. Nah, buddy. No, sir. Get your ass down. 
in LaFont Plaza and start selling them damn oils. You feel me? I ain't messing with you. <laughs> Jingy. Sit your ass down, boy. <sighs> All right, y'all, man. Laugh. The laughter, the fun and games is over. Second half is on the way. We know what we need to do to finish up strong. And we're going to start with our third quarter, which is our guest this week, Miss Princess Streeter. Third quarter. You can check out my next guest. She is the co-host of the W Podcast. Make sure you download and subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcast, iTunes, or wherever else you listen to pods. You can check her out on Twitter. She's at PBStreet underscore Princess Streeter. Princess, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, Armand. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me, and I'm excited to talk with you. No, no. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, anyone who knows me knows I love basketball, and there, there are not many things that are better than playoff basketball, playoff atmosphere, and that's exactly what's going on in the D.C. area this week as we speak, as by the time you all listen to this pod, the Mystics will be gearing up for their playoff opener um, versus the Los Angeles Sparks. Um, I can't lie. When I first started to really start paying attention to the WNBA, I want to say it was two years ago when the um, Sparks and the Lynx got together in one of their playoff. I know they've, they've met in the finals several times. But it was such an amazing series in the, the, the final game was an amazing game and i was like yo i got wrapped up into it so now that you know the mystics are coming off this really impressive season and like i said basketball playoff basketball is back my first question to you is how would you assess the field from a mystics perspective and also from a league-wide standpoint which teams and which players specifically are poised to have a breakout postseason run well, I think when you talk about the WNBA playoffs, you have to talk about the format first. Right. And um, I think what reeled you into the WNBA and two West Coast teams being able to play each other, you know, as the two, team, two best teams in the league is because of that playoff format. That's what ignited this rivalry between the Los Angeles Sparks and the Minnesota Lynx. That's what increased finals and playoff viewership. Um, over these past few years. And I think it's exciting to note that this WNBA season may be one of the best that we've had so far. I've been watching the W since I was a middle schooler, um, just loving ball, coming up around ball. And right. I, as I've grown, you know, I've gotten a better understanding of the game. Yeah. But really from what I see now has just been tremendous. I mean, records broken, um, right. scoring records broken, assist records broken, first time a player got a triple-double for a franchise. I mean, it's been some really big things in its 21 years of existence. Now, going back to what you were saying about this uh, upcoming playoff, I think league-wide what's really important to see is that now, once where the Minnesota Lynx and Los Angeles Sparks were meeting in the finals and they always had the double bye because they were always switching between one and two, they're now meeting in the single elimination round the first round of play, which kicks off on Tuesday, there's right. going to be the Sparks and the Lynx, and on the other side of the bracket is going to be the Dallas Wings and the Phoenix Mercury. Um, and so when you look at the teams who were once at the pinnacle of the league and two teams that everyone had to beat, everyone had to go through, the other, you know, 
six teams that are now in the playoffs really had to step up and throughout the season fight to dismantle these two powerhouses. And now they're meeting in, a, in an instance where only one of them who's won the championship in the past six, seven years is going to be able to move forward to the next round. And that just really speaks to how much the WNBA has, has grown and has, has increased its parity and its uh, competition. It's been amazing. Um, but for Washington, I, they are now the three seed. Every uh, team is reseeded after each round, um, which is a little bit more complicated. But where the Mystics are now, they, like you said, they get that bye where they don't have to play until Thursday, which I think is very essential for, for them in terms of getting rest. They battled some injuries, battled some fatigue throughout the years. And now while they're, while they're gearing up for playoffs, they're coming off of a loss in Minnesota, um, but I think they still have that mindset. Natasha Cloud, one of the guards, was saying, this is a championship team. And when I was in the locker room last week, they really buy into that notion that they are a team that's ready for the championship. Now, there are a couple steps to get there. You have to get through Atlanta and may, maybe even uh, subsequently getting through either the Sparks or the Lynx. But I do think that um, the Washington Mystics are in a better place than they've been in the last three or four years to make that championship push. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Princess Streeter. She is the co-host of the W Podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, and give five-star reviews to their pod on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at PBStreet underscore. And, you know, you make up a, an interesting point. The WNBA in their playoff format is extremely progressive, and it's worked. And if the NBA was smart, they'd, they'd look at what has worked with the WNBA and kind of use that as a model to make some changes to their playoff format. But that's another topic for another show. I want to stay with the WNBA for a second. And... You know, you made a point about how the play on the floor is one of the best seasons in the league history. And as someone who is a fan, and like I said, it was about two years ago that really got me hooked. I was watching the finals, and I was like, yo, this is really dope. These these women are balling. They're killing. And, like, ever since then, it's been like a, like a, a progress, uh, this momentum that has worked, not just with me, but I feel like at least – around the, the the nation in terms of getting um, getting the recognition that these women deserve. There also has seemingly been this kind of movement about demanding that media outlets cover the WNBA the way they would cover any other league and that there is a correlation between coverage and viewership and inner you know engagement, if you will. And as someone, I can only speak for myself, but it has worked with me. I am more interested. I have more plugged into the league now than I have ever been. I don't want to make it seem like I'm the student of the WNBA. I'm just a fan, right? I'm not trying to, to fake here. But it seems like there's this a lot of positive momentum behind the league in terms of getting uh, coverage, right, that they deserve. As someone who covers the league and has covered the league for a while now, do you feel that positive momentum and where do we need to go to continue, not just keep up where we're at now, but actually take more steps forward and progressing and making this league or covering this league the way it should be? Well, I do think there is momentum, like I mentioned, in the competition and the play. Um, but really the media coverage is still very much on a grassroots level. Right. I have met some 
some great friends who have started their own outlets, honestly, because they have such a passion for covering the WNBA. Um, and even some who have kind of formed a conglomerate, if you all are interested, I have, you know, friends and colleagues at highposthoops.com, beyondthew.com, um, through the Penn Sports, I think is a, is an independent blog that uh, a colleague of mine runs. Um, what are some other big ones? Uh, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm blanking. WNBA Insider. Uh, I'm kind of blinking on a few, but there are just so many who are involved in the grassroots efforts of getting to know these women um, and, and telling their stories on the court, telling about their athletic prowess, how they truly are some of the best athletes in the world, and right. how they deserve to be covered as such. Um, I, I saw a stat recently that female athletes make are are 48% of all the total athletes, so they're almost you know all athletes. Right. Almost half of all athletes are women, excuse me. But women's uh, coverage is only given 4% of all total yeah. sports media coverage. Wow, that's crazy. And it was even more wild is like if you were to just subtract Serena from that, then God knows where that percentage of women's sports coverage would be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I mean, it's not even just the WNBA. There's women's hockey, women's soccer, of course, right. um, and, and, a, and a host of other sports who don't get a lot of attention or shine until the Olympics. So that, and that's, that's completely unacceptable. So, you know, I say all that to say the media coverage from huge entities like ESPN, Yahoo Sports, Bleacher Report, Fox right. Sports, um, CBS Sports, it's still at a, it's still at a minimum. Right. Um, and that's where a lot of the attention needs to start shifting, definitely, because I think just a few Instagram posts about Oh, uh, I don't know. Candace Parker, someone that most people already know. Um, Candace Parker had a a triple double, you know, just as an example. That does not even begin to bring in a new audience because Candace Parker is indeed a household name or Skylar Diggins Smith is indeed a a household name. So you're not, as, as a big outlet, you're not really taking the initiative to go deeper and really figure out some other people like a Liz Cambage, who is a is an international household name. So she has a single season score, single game scoring record, and the uh, two game scoring record, eighty eight points in two games. That's huge. That's big. And you know, and a lot of times we just had a recent conversation where, um, you know, there may be a game that's that's uh, on or whatever, and and isn't slated to be on ESPN or NBA TV, but you turn to ESPN or ESPN two. And there's a game of, of cricket on or a bowling right. match. Right. And I, I, all those sports are valid, yes, but when you're in the season that we're in and when you're seeing the level of competition that we're seeing, that's completely unacceptable. And like yeah. I said, that 4% for 48% of total athletes in the world is just off balance and it shows just how far we have to go. So I, I, I love to praise the people that I've met that are at the games religiously, faithfully, who spend their own money to go to All-Star or to the draft or to marquee game matchups. But for the people who have that money right. and who have that, that platform and that those resources, that's not that's where the, the divide is. That's where it needs to, to expand, definitely. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Princess Streeter. She is the co-host of the W Podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure you follow them on Twitter. The podcast is at 
the W podcast underscore. And make sure you follow Princess as well. She's at PB Street underscore. All right. So like we said earlier, at the time you guys are hearing this podcast Thursday, the Mystics begin their postseason run. So make sure you go down to Capital One Arena or watch on television. Show them love. Y'all know how we do. But that was kind of a talking point for this week, the Mystics playoff run. Last week, in terms of D.C. basketball, everyone got up in arms about an excerpt from an article about Dwight Howard where his trainer said that Dwight is trying to become a player like Anthony Davis, like Kevin Durant, but with his own spin. Um, I guess when you read it or even just seeing that headline, it's harmless enough. But I, I don't know. When you, when you look at Dwight Howard's history, specifically as a free throw shooter and his turnovers, and then when you couple that with the narrative, as soon as he signed in D.C., they were pushing this, this kind of talking point that he is buying into his role as a rim-running big and he's going to just be a clean-up garbage time type kind of guy. And then weeks later, he's talking about he wants to be he model his game after two of the best five players in the league. Um, it's nothing necessarily wrong with trying to evolve. I just don't know how wise it is, number one. And two, I don't know how that's going to play in this Wizards locker room. How did you receive that article? And am I making too big of a deal out of this? Or is Dwight Howard correct in Yes, he should try modeling his game after two of the best players in the league. I, well, when I first saw the quote, I, I looked at it for a second because I didn't even know what it meant. Right, <laughs> when right. the half Kevin Durant, half right. Anthony Davis, half yourself, part yourself, whatever, um, I, I, it took me a second, and then I had to look at it from a Dwight Howard standpoint, I believe. And as a big, as one of the last, I guess you could say, true centers, in this league, um, we haven't really seen the explosion and productivity yeah. from him since about what, 2008? 2008? Like, yeah. When he was like a marquee player, like a franchise type player, yeah, about 2008, nine. We can just go ahead and say Orlando Magic. He ain't seen right. nothing from the Lakers, Dwight. We ain't seen nothing from Atlanta, Dwight, Charlotte, right. none of that. Um, and so I, I, I don't think it's ever too late to reinvent yourself. If you still have time in the NBA, you still have time to improve. We've seen guys lose weight, and yeah. we've seen guys come back from injuries. Something about Dwight Howard, though, I think the pair of <laughs> him and Jeff Green in yeah. Washington will make a substantial difference in the regular season. I don't know if it will boost them in the playoffs because I still think the Celtics just have too much for right. them um, yeah. to beat. But Dwight Howard, it, it sounds nice. It sounds yeah. nice because when you, you always want to reflect back on what he was and if he could be that again. And right now he's just talking pretty to get the Wizards fans behind him, to get the Wizards organization behind him. So I don't think you bought into it too much. I'm just saying I have to see it. Like I'm going right. to have to see this man come out. We'd have to really see if at, what, 14 years, his 14th season in the league, if he – has really reinvented himself. Like you said, the free throw shooting, Dwight Howard, gives me a mindset that he's not going to be a KD at all. <laughs> right, you can't right. shoot from the free throw line. You darn sure, I was about to cuss, but you, you surely can't <laughs> shoot from, from 25, 30 feet. 20 feet, yeah. 
KD's out of there. Anthony Davis is in a league of his own in terms of being at that height, but also having handles and having good court vision. I also don't think Dwight Howard has that, but people can change in the offseason. People can improve in the offseason. I have to see it. Right. Right now, it just sounds pretty, but knowing Dwight Howard and knowing how excited he is and how he's making these promises every time he comes into a new organization. Right. We just know the track record. I can't get I can't get all hyped yeah. about it until I really see him producing DJ. Yeah, it's like I don't ever want to take shots at somebody who wants to better themselves. I think I think there is something maybe I don't know if refreshing is the word, admirable about a player, especially someone who's likely a Hall of Famer like Dwight, to be like, you know what? I want to better myself so I can continue to play in the league. And then, you know, there's there's a perception of Dwight, and I don't know how real it is. I've never spoke to Dwight Howard before. I've never covered any of the teams he's played on. But there's this perception that he is a locker room cancer. And a lot of the people who have gone on record to speak about this perception, they make it clear. It's not that Dwight is a bad guy. It's not that he's out of shape, obviously, or that he's not practicing or anything like that. It's that he wants a larger role, a larger responsibility from an offensive standpoint. It's that he doesn't want to be a Tyson Chandler type player or a DeAndre Jordan type player. He wants to be Shaq. He wants to be Elijah Wan. And, you know, I don't know how that works from a chemistry perspective or from a actual wins-loss, you know, matter. The Wizards have a lot of guys who need the ball in their hands. John needs the ball in his hands. Brad needs the ball in his hands. Everybody swears they want Otto Porter to take more shots. If all those three guys, you know, need the ball in their hand or we want the ball in their hand for Otto's sake, if Dwight Howard's taking 18-foot shots or he's trying to, you know, create off the dribble at the elbow, number one, I don't know how that plays in the locker room. And number two, and maybe more importantly, I don't know if that helps the Wizards win. In fact, it may actually cause them to lose more games. I think I think Dwight needs us to start off being the cleanup man. You got to right. be the one who out hustles everyone on the post, and then prove to the rest of your teammates that once you handle that responsibility as a big man in the post, and the paint is yours, people are afraid to come into the paint because your right. defense around the rim is that good, or people are afraid to dribble in the paint because they know if they look up. They're going to see you there or you're coming through. Right. Once you handle your job as a center in the NBA, then we can talk about you getting the ISO on the block or in the short corner. Then we can talk about you moving out to the elbow, doing more than just setting the screen and and hitting the pick and roll or pick and pop. Like, we got to get the basics down first. And it's crazy (laughs) to say that about someone who we consider to be one of the greatest possible centers of all time at one point. Yeah. yeah, like he was, he was in, we were talking about Superman. We, like right. that was the guy. But still, like we said, I don't know anything about the locker rooms. I do know John Wall recruited him and wanted him there, like with the exit of Gortat and the low productivity of uh, Mahimi and a mm-hmm. few of the other, few of the other big guys. But I need Dwight to master his, his portions first. <laughs> Right. And work on that explosion that he used to have when he was, quote, unquote, Superman. And that footwork that he had and that drive to beat everybody else to the rim and to run the floor and to be exciting, to dunk on dudes. Like, you know, like we got to see all that back and see it work well in a system with with, including Scott Brooks. It's got to work well with the guys on the floor, but it's got to work with Scott's 
plan, too. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Once we get all that together, I think that's where you can see the Wizards propel in the Eastern Conference and, and go up against and beat a, a Toronto or a Boston um, and make it to the conference final. Show and prove will be the, the mantra for Dwight Howard and for the Washington Wizards all this season. Once again, guys, this has been my guest, Princess Streeter. Make sure you download the W Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to pods. Give it a five-star review as well. And make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter. They are at the W Podcast underscore. Also, make sure you follow Princess on Twitter as well. She's at PB Street underscore. Princess, had a lot of fun with you this week. Thank you so much for rocking with me. This week on the Quarterly Report, and let's go Mystics. Thank you for having me, though. I really appreciate it. I love this conversation. It's great. Absolutely. All right, guys. So, thus far, we have talked NBA, WNBA playoffs, Nicki Minaj, and Chingy. What could we possibly do to end this show off right for our fourth topic? Well, you don't have to wait that much longer. Let's go. Fourth I'm quarter. trying my damnedest to, to, to kind of put everything aside and just – Get back to a place where I can just, at the end of August, just fall in love with football, right? That's all I want to do. I just want to go back to the days where I could just enjoy football and my conscience when consistently keep its foot in my ass. You know what I'm saying? Because every other year is something. It's to the point where I've, I've, I have cooled significantly on the NFL, but I love I love football. I talked about it with my guy Jinx last week. Football is so much, so, so ingrained in our country. You know what I mean? You may not like the NFL. You may not like high school. You may not want your children to play peewee. You know, you may not have gone to a huge university, whatever the case, but the game of football does something to us as a, as a country, as a nation. And in many ways, that can be really good. You know, I still remember you two uh, in the Super Bowl, what, 2002, after the, uh, the towers fell. That's a, that's, a, that's a moment that I will remember for the rest of my life. I can only imagine what people in New York felt as well. You know, so it's, it's, sports does that as a whole. And I, and I feel like sometimes football, um, they get an unfair portion of scrutiny when it comes to certain issues that face all sports and all not just sports all walks of life but because football is so popular because football is so dominant and because you literally cannot turn on the television no matter what channel and watch tv for an hour without seeing some images of football it just is impossible in this country so of course they're going to get hit the worst but i swear it just doesn't seem like football truly cares. You know what it is? It's like when you know you got the juice and you don't have a certain level of integrity and you don't have anyone to keep you in line and you know you've got the juice, it doesn't matter. I'm saying all of this to say what the hell is going on in Columbus, Ohio? You know what I'm saying? This and it's not and it's like you we can look at the NFL and be like boom they've got some issues clearly they've got some issues they got some issues at the top and it permeates throughout the entire league throughout all 32 owners right college football 
I know people who, who, who won't watch college football just because of they they think players should be play, paid. And I'm not going to have this. Or this is not the time nor the place of to have that discussion. Maybe in weeks, later weeks. But this isn't what this quarter is about. This quarter is about Ohio State and the BS that's going on with their football program. I live in Largo, Maryland, right? Just 10 miles or so away from College Park. And Maryland's going through all types of stuff. We talked about this last week again with my guy Jinx. They had a young man die. And they were cool just going about things status quo until a report came out. That report took so much heat off of Urban Meyer in Ohio State. So much heat. And now this is taking heat off of DJ Durkin and everyone at the University of Maryland. Urban Meyer knew one of his assistants was beating, torturing, tormenting his wife. He lied about it. He tried to pass the buck, but kept the guy under his staff. And he gets three games. He gets suspended for three games. What? So this is the problem, right? Because everybody will get on in, in front of a camera and everybody will get in the mic in front of a microphone and tell you how problematic, you know, domestic violence is and how we as a society need to put it in and we need to be bigger men and we need to talk about this and we need to eliminate it and get it all out and like completely stomp domestic violence out of our society completely. And then this happens. Right? We just, I already talked to you about the influence of football, whether it's college, whether it's professional, whether it's high school, it doesn't matter. Urban, like, you can, you can be a student at Ohio State. I mean, and forget about the past transgressions when it comes to some of their players. Ezekiel Elliott names comes to mind first. What, 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 like, what, these are, these are young men. What message are you sending? You, because don't, don't give us lip service. This is a coach. One of the assistant coaches doing this to his wife and being held down by the head coach. So he is operating like, because he's above the law. You don't have to look too far to see some of the damage, the collateral damage that happens when Urban Meyer is your football head coach. Ask the people in Florida. It's like, what are we doing? And then it, the, the fact that it's Ohio State. Remember Jim Trestle? He lost his job because of tattoos. Because he lied about players getting tattoos. Urban Meyer keeps his gig. It's three games of a suspension after basically enabling a, a, a wife beater. What? How is how is this all out of place? How How did we get here, man? Because... Like I told Jinx, man, it feels like it's getting worse. Ray Rice, Jameis Winston, Greg Hardy. It's like you just go on and on and on. This type of stuff isn't new. 
It's just seemingly happening happening more frequently. And I don't know if it's because we just have so much more coverage. But uh, that don't feel right. Y'all, I promise you, man, I just want, I just want, I just want to enjoy football. I really want to. I'm not on a high horse. I'm not on a pedestal. I'm speaking to y'all like I would speak to my, my cousin, like I would speak to my homeboys. I'm just talking. And I got to feel that some of y'all feel the same way because, like, enjoying football without your conscience always in your ear saying, man, what's going on? Like, we've already made kind of the bargain. If you watch football, you have already made some type of deal. Like, yo, I know these people have made a deal to play the sport for wealth at the potential sacrifice of their health. And as a viewer, you have to have that that conversation within yourself internally. Like, okay, I know what I'm signing up for. They know what they're signing up for to play. I know what I'm signing up for to view. And that's cool. I love boxing, all right? So I'm not going to preach to anybody about morality when it comes to watching danger and violence, okay? I'm not doing that. And there's no problem with that, right? We're all adults. If you want to talk about it with your children, that, you know, whatever. Everybody needs to to be the type of parent that they want to be that's best for their household. And I'm not preaching to anybody, right? But as viewers, as fans of the sport, this is something that we have an internal discussion with, okay? I know what I'm signing up for, and I know that part of this entertainment is going to come at the expense of these men and women's health, right? And either you take it or leave it. But once you're past that, there's so much BS that comes along with it. And it's like football has gotten to a point where it's so popular that there's no one, no entity, no person, no group who can check it. The NFL is out here blackballing talented players who absolutely could help rosters. In college football, what's the purpose of the NCAA? Seriously. If you're going to turn a blind eye to all this, he gets three games? Are you serious? So miss me with the student athlete and we're trying to groom young men and go, you know, all that stuff. Get out of here with that. We know what time it is. And again, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to take this time to talk about paying college athletes, but what we need to do, get past the uh, grooming young men, get past the, we're trying to shape these young men's lives and all this other, all this preachy, all this crap. Because it doesn't matter. If Urban Meyer, right, went five and whatever last season, he's not making this. He's not surviving this. Actually, you know what? I don't even know that because DJ Durkin, he, and that, it's not like he's, you know, Pete Carroll. It's not like he's Nick Saban, Bear Bryant. And DJ Durkin probably keeps his job too. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It just doesn't make sense to me. Because I want so much to just enjoy Saturdays and enjoy Sundays. I want to turn all the noise off. I, I don't want to turn it off. I just wish it didn't exist. But not only does it exist, it feels like it's being amplified each and every year. And I don't know when it stops. You got an answer? 
hit me up on Twitter. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report at gmail.com. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, whether it's iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Let me, let your friends, let the world know what you think about the Quarterly Report, where, in my opinion, my humble opinion, just the greatest sports podcast of all time. But maybe you don't feel that way. Let me know what you like. Hell, let me know what you don't like. It's all good, but just interact with me. Let me know. Let the world know what you think of the podcast. This has been our 69th episode, so that means next week is 70. I cannot believe it, but I want to thank each and every one of you. I want to thank my guest this week, Princess Streeter, and, of course, everyone who's ever helped out or listened to the podcast. I appreciate you. We'll see you back here next week, next Thursday, right here on The Quarterly Report.